uh, on an island off the coast of Norway, just 600 miles from the North Pole, is an underground storage facility called the Global Seed Vault. It is a doomsday bunker. The Global Seed Vault stores over one million different kinds of seeds from around the world. Now, they're stored there in case of a global disaster, a global catastrophe in, many, in which many different crops and species of plants are wiped out so they can be restarted, so the world can once again feed itself. And now, the hope is that the Global Seed Vault will never be needed, but it exists in the case of a doomsday scenario. It's there in case one of those huge global catastrophes like we see in the, the movie uh, actually ever happens. Now, no one is sure whether it will, but we want to be prepared, just in case. So, the global seed vault. Well, friends, if such extensive preparations have been made for a doomsday event, people are not even sure it will happen. Don't even know if we'll ever need the global seed vault. How much more preparation should be made for something that we do know will happen? As we just read about, the Bible makes it clear that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of judgment is coming when God's wrath will be poured out on sin. What we just read about in Malachi, and it is what Jesus speaks about in our verses for this morning. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Verses 35 through 59. You can also find that text in the back of your bulletin. But the day that Jesus returns in judgment will be a global disaster like no other. It is the doomsday of all doomsdays. At least if you are not a Christian. If you are not ready for that day. So in our text for today, Jesus calls you to be ready. He urges you to be ready for that day. Friends, that global seed vault was built to prepare for an uncertain disaster, just in case something were to happen. But the coming day of the Lord will certainly come. The only thing that is uncertain is when it will come. When it will come. But friends, are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared for eternity? That is the question that Jesus confronts you with in these verses this morning. In fact, one of the, the main themes of the verses that we've studied over the last few weeks has been the theme of eternity. Jesus taught a couple of weeks ago, he taught his disciples that they are to fear God rather than man, because it is God who holds our eternal destiny in his hands. We saw last week that you were to place your security in Jesus and to seek to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. Friends, you are to be concerned with the eternal rather than the temporal. This is how you prepare for eternity. So that the main idea of our verses for this morning is simple. Be ready for Jesus' unexpected return. Be ready for Jesus' unexpected return. I have four points to help us consider Jesus' message this morning. The first is be ready. It's going to come from verses 35 and 40. Be ready. The second, be faithful. Be faithful. That's going to come from verses 41 through 48. The third, be loyal. 
verses 49 through 53, and then finally, be urgent, verses 54 through 59. And so first, be ready. Now follow along with me as I read verses 35 through 40. This is Jesus speaking. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Again, Jesus' point in these opening verses is simple. We find it in verse 40. You also be ready because the Son of Man, that is Jesus, is coming at an hour you do not expect. He said in verse 39, he's going to come like a thief in the night unexpectedly, without warning. Therefore, if you are to be ready because Jesus is to come without warning, you must continually be ready for service. You must continually have your lamps lit. But to make this point, Jesus told a parable. He told people that they were to be like servants waiting for their master to return from a a wedding banquet, a, a party. There were no cell phones in those days, as you probably know. So if someone was at a party or a banquet, if the master was out for a night, there was no way of knowing when he would return. No little Find Friends app on the phone to to tell the servants when the master was on his way. And maybe he would return at midnight. And maybe he would come back closer to dawn. In this uncertain time of waiting, the servants had two options. Go to bed and let the master take care of himself. Or be ready to return whenever the master decides to come back. Keep themselves ready. Friends, to be ready for the coming day of the Lord does not look like getting the master's late night snack ready and then just going to bed yourself. No, it looks like being awake. It looks like being in in a constant state of readiness. As soon as he knocks, you are ready to open the door. And Jesus said it was the servants who are ready at the master's return who will be blessed. My friends, Jesus is giving a warning in really this whole passage that we were looking at this morning about spiritual laziness or spiritual complacency. His point is that the Christian life is not just about praying a prayer at one point in your life or getting baptized at some point, and then just kind of going on with your life as if nothing has really changed, with no consideration of Jesus. It's not just about coming to church on Christmas and Easter, but living really without much consideration of Jesus throughout the the rest of the year, for your faith in Jesus just to kind of be like a tack-on, something nice to have there when you need it. It's not even about coming to church most every week in order to fulfill some religious obligation that you think you have, but then going throughout the rest of your week without much thought of Jesus. 
No, it's about keeping yourself in a constant state of readiness for his return. It's devoting your entire life to him. It is to offer up your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Friends, this starts with conversion. This starts with initial repentance and faith. But those attitudes of the heart must persist through your whole life. Those attitudes of your heart must persist throughout your whole life. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How are we to to wait for the Master's return? For the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Paul writes, by denying godlessness and worldly lusts. In other words, by denying our sin, by forsaking our sin, by pursuing righteousness and, and holiness instead. Friends, those who long and hope for Jesus' return will keep themselves in a constant state of readiness by constantly pursuing holiness. The Lord says, be holy for I am holy. But friends, really the the only way to truly be in a a state of continual readiness, the only way to do that is for you to be eager to serve Jesus. There has to be an eagerness to serve the master. The servants who wait up to serve the master are those who love their master. They They are eager to serve him. They want to bless him. For those of you who are married, if your spouse is out and they're not going to be back until late at night, well, don't you sometimes want to stay up for their return? You want to see them get back. Uh, you want to make sure they're safe because you love them. But maybe more than that, you want to, to talk to them because you love them. You want to be ready for them. Friends, it's only a love for Jesus that can, can sustain a continual readiness to serve him. The only way that you will stay up to serve him is if serving him is a delight and not just a duty. The only way you will stay up is if you love him for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. Church, that that love is is stoked. That love is, is stirred. That love is enlivened by recognizing what a kind and gracious God that we serve. Just look at at verse 37. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table. Then come and serve them. My friends, what a reversal that is. Those who keep themselves fit for Jesus' service will be served by him instead. Those servants will be invited to recline at his table. Church, this is a a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb described in Revelation 19. Not going to go there. Go read about it later. But the marriage supper of the Lamb is the heavenly banquet prepared for all of God's children. It's prepared for those who kept themselves ready for Jesus' return. When, When Jesus comes again, all of his children 
those who were his faithful servants, they will be invited to feast at his table and to celebrate the church, the bride of Christ being presented holy and blameless to him. Friends, for for those who are continually ready for Jesus' return, for those who have kept themselves ready, for those who are faithful, for those who are God's children, the day of the Lord will not be a day of terror. It will be a day of joy. It will be a day of, of great rejoicing and feasting. It will not be a doomsday event. Friends, it is faith and hope in that coming day that is to motivate and sustain you in a continual state of readiness. We are to place our hope in the coming again of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 11:6. Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, part of saving faith or true faith believing that God will one day reward those who are faithful to him. Therefore, we set our minds and hearts not on the things of this earth, but on the things of heaven. We look forward not to our our next meal on earth, but to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We fix our eyes not on ourselves, but we fix them on our Savior. We have faith that the promises of God are true and that that we will one day recline at his table. Friends, we we trust in his sustaining grace that the one who calls us to be ready, God who calls us to be ready for Jesus' return, is also the one who makes us ready. That he sustains us and he causes us to persevere to the end. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of, of Christ Jesus. Friends, all those he calls... All that Jesus calls, he makes ready for his return. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be ready for his service and have your lamps lit, just meditate on the kindness and grace of your God. Trust and rely on the future promises that he has given you. Be eager to, to serve the Savior who has died for you and who will one day return for you. Friends, what does it look like to be ready? What does it look like to be ready? That's where Jesus turns his attention next. The second point of the sermon, be faithful. Look with me at verse 41. Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Well, after 
listening to Jesus give this first parable about being ready for the coming day of the Lord, Peter asked if Jesus was speaking to everyone or just to his disciples particularly. Jesus didn't exactly answer him clearly, but tells another parable. But I think this parable reveals that Jesus was speaking to both groups. The kids, teenagers, have you ever been, when you've been left alone at home, if you have been left alone at home, have you always followed your parents' instructions, obeyed the same rules that you would have if you knew that they were at home? Or have you perhaps taken advantage of their absence to do something or to watch something that you should not have? If so, and your parents found out, my guess is that you got in trouble. But if you were faithful to obey while they were gone, you were probably rewarded with their increased trust. They probably were willing to leave you home again by yourself. This is the situation that Jesus is describing in this parable. And Jesus tells the, the parable, the story of a master who is away for a long period of time, a few weeks. Again, in those days, no way to manage the household from afar, no email, no way to keep up on the happenings around home. So the master put a servant in charge to manage things while he was away. This servant manager was responsible for managing the house in his master's absence, for caring for the other servants. But Jesus' point in this parable is that there are two kinds of managers, two kinds of managers that get put in charge. One, there are those managers who are faithful to do their jobs while the master is away. These managers will be blessed when the master returns. They will be rewarded because they were prepared for their master's return. They were in a continual state of readiness. They were faithful. They obeyed. On the other hand, there is another type of manager who thinks that the master's absence means that it is time to slack off. Rules go out the window. He takes advantage of the situation to indulge himself, to do what he wants, break into the parent's liquor cabinet and get drunk. Oh, when the, the master returns, this type of manager will be judged severely. Now, friends, it may be that Jesus was giving some particular attention to Peter and the apostles here. I think that's the case. And notice the faithful manager is the one who is to feed the other servants, to care for the other servants. Well, in John chapter 21, this is the commission that Jesus gives to Peter right before he ascends back to heaven. He tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, proclaim the word of God, feed my people, nourish my disciples with my words, instruct them. Help them to remain faithful in my absence. Remind them that I will return and that they should be ready for that day. Encourage them to be in a constant state of readiness. Now, brothers and sisters, as your elders, Pastor Ben and I have a particular responsibility to feed you with the word of God. We have a particular responsibility to care for your souls. The Apostle Peter same one who was given that commission by Jesus Christ, gives this instruction to elders in 1 Peter 5. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, 
but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that is Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter is saying that those who are faithful to feed the sheep, to selflessly serve and care for those under their authority will be blessed. You'll look forward to the unfading crown of glory. What did the unfaithful manager in Jesus' parable do? He lorded his authority over the other servants, mistreated them for personal gain. Friends, that is not what the elders of Christ's church are to do. They are to care for those in their midst, to serve them, to do their utmost to ensure that they will be ready for that day when Jesus returns, to prepare them for that day by constantly feeding them with the word of God. So I do think that there is a particular warning here to the elders of the church not to use their position for personal gain, not to mistreat or abuse those who are in their care, those who are placed in positions of spiritual authority, but who use those positions for personal gain, who mistreat others, will be harshly judged. Look at verse 46 and what Jesus said would happen to the unfaithful manager. He will be cut to pieces and assigned a place with the unfaithful when the master returns. Now, friends, look, there are no perfect pastors. Jesus is not calling for perfection here, but he is calling for a life of faithfulness. Friends, the sad reality is that on the last day, there will be pastors and there will be other spiritual leaders whose evil deeds will prove that they never truly believed in Jesus and they will be assigned a place with the unfaithful. They will be condemned to hell. But Jesus' parable here applies not just to spiritual leaders. Friends, I believe it applies to all. Notice in verses 47 and 48 that judgment is not just reserved for those who are managers and were placed in positions of authority, but also for each servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do it. Judgment will even come for those who did not know and yet did what deserved punishment. They will likewise be judged, perhaps not as severely, but they will still be cast into hell on the coming day of the Lord. Friends, Jesus is giving a great warning here about spiritual complacency. There is a warning here about spiritual laziness. Look at, at verse 45 and the attitude of the heart that characterized those who are unfaithful. It is spiritual laziness or complacency. The return of the master, Jesus, it seems far off, remote. They think, eh, maybe it'll never happen. So let's live for today. Let's live for ourselves. Let's take advantage of the time that we have. But friends, Jesus will return on a day that they do not expect. If you have your Bibles with me, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter is, is talking to Christians who are wondering and who are being influenced by false teachers who are telling them that Jesus would not return again. But he was encouraging them to readiness. 
Well, Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Though through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, do not overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some would understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Friends, it has been 2,000 years since Jesus died, was raised, and ascended back into heaven. Maybe you are tempted to think, is he really coming again? Is his word true? Is this Christianity stuff for real? But friends, be warned. Jesus will return. One day, thousand years, thousand years like a day. And Jesus' delay in coming is simply his kindness to you. He's giving you the, the time to get ready. Friends, our God is a God of justice. Jesus will one day return and he will judge all unrighteousness. We do not know when, but be assured that he will. And on that day, the only thing that can rescue you from the wrath of God is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Again, notice verse 48. On the day of Jesus' Jesus's return, even those who did not know and did what deserved punishment will be judged. The church, that is a sobering reality. Even those who never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ will be condemned because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since... What can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. God has made himself known. People are responsible for the rejection of him. And God's judgment of even those who have never heard the gospel will be fully justified because he is simply giving them what their sins deserve. They are consciously rejecting their creator. They have rejected the truth. Friends, this reality certainly adds a soberness to the last half of verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Kids, what is that famous line from Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. Well, church, you have great responsibility. Whether or not you are a pastor, if you are a Christian, 
you have been entrusted with much. You have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are called to share it. It is an urgent task because people must hear about Jesus if they are to believe in him. Judgment is coming, and you have been entrusted with the truth and the power of the gospel that you might share it. Church, do not be spiritually lazy about evangelism. Notice from these verses that being prepared for the coming day of the Lord looks like simple and ordinary Christian faithfulness. Verse 43, we are simply to be found doing our job. Verse 47, if we know our master's will, we are to do it. Christian, part of that job is to go and make disciples of all nations. Essential part of your job description as a Christian. You've been entrusted with the gospel. You are called to share it. That's not the only Christian faithfulness that you are called to. I should have told you to keep your finger in 2 Peter. If you are still in 2 Peter 3, this is what Peter tells Christians to do in light of the coming day of the Lord, starting in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. It's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. You're to live lives of holiness, to flee from sin, to pursue righteousness. And Jesus' parable in, in Luke 12 makes it clear that a life of holiness is to be marked by serving others and not yourself. It's to be marked by a, a love for others, a giving of yourself to others. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is also writing about the coming day of the Lord. And he tells the church this in light of the coming day of the Lord. He writes, encourage one another and build each other up. Friends, we all have a responsibility to prepare one another for the coming day of the Lord. If you are a member of Christ Church, you have a job description, and it is to care for the other members of Christ Church and to prepare them for the coming day of the Lord. But church, again, you must see that Jesus is giving a strong warning against spiritual complacency. He's giving a strong warning about spiritual laziness. Friends, if your attitude towards the Christian life is, I just need to do the minimum to get by, be warned. Friends, if you only half-heartedly fight sin, you're content with your current level of spiritual maturity. You think, I'm good enough where I am. Be warned. If you only occasionally pray when like, you really want God to do something for you, be warned. If you only come to church on major holidays or when there is nothing better to do, be warned. If the things of this earth capture more of your attention than the things of eternity, be warned. If you are marked by selfishness rather than selflessness, be warned. If your love of Jesus consists only in words but not in deeds, be warned. 
Jesus will return. Will he find you ready or not? Church, do not ignore these warnings. Even if you're a Christian, these warnings are one of the means God uses to make you ready. You have in you the fear of the Lord. You look on these warnings with soberness. It's one of the means that the Spirit of God uses to make you ready for Jesus' return. Friends, the rest of this passage further explains what it looks like to be ready for the coming day of the Lord. So first, Jesus explains that you must be loyal. The third point of the sermon, be loyal. Look with me at verse 49. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. In the mid-1800s, the United States fought a civil war. The southern half of the country, the southern states, tried to break away from the northern half of the country, the northern states, and and form their own country. The north eventually won the Civil War, but it took four bloody years of conflict first. And one of the things that made the Civil War so brutal was that it often tore families apart. It's often said about the Civil War that brother fought against brother. One brother would take up the cause of the North and be loyal to the North. The other would take up the cause of the South. And so brother would fight against brother. Families were split. This was especially true of families who lived on the border between North and South, where the dividing line was. They were divided loyalties within families, so brother fought against brother. Sometimes father fought against son. The Civil War tore families apart. Friends, I think that can help us understand Jesus' words in these verses. And perhaps shockingly, Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace, but that he came to bring this type of division. Because of his coming, father would be divided against son, mother against daughter, and the, the list just goes on. What is Jesus talking about? Did he not come to bring peace on earth? Like, isn't that what we sing about every Christmas? That Jesus came to bring peace on earth. Friends, here is the key. Jesus did come to bring peace on earth. Peace between God and man. Friends, in our sin, we are alienated from God, hostile towards God. The Bible says that we are his enemies. But Jesus came to restore sinful man to a holy God. And so on the cross, Jesus died in our place to pay the penalty for sin that we owed. To pay the penalty for our sin that has separated us from God. And therefore, all who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus are no longer enemies of God, but they become his friends. And more than that, they are adopted into God's family. They become brothers and sisters of Jesus himself. My friends, Jesus has made peace for all those who repent and believe. But friends, here is the thing. 
In order for you to have peace with God, he must have your highest loyalty. Jesus must have your highest loyalty. A loyalty even greater than that that you give to your earthly family. You must be fully devoted to him. In Luke 14, 26, we'll get there in a, a few weeks. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, friends, Jesus is not saying that you actually have to, to hate your family to be a disciple. However, he is saying that you must be willing to be divided from your family. If necessary, you must be willing to forsake your earthly family and anything else in order to follow Jesus. Jesus demands your highest loyalty. Friends, it is possible that your family will hate you if you become a Christian. That is certainly true for many who are of the majority religion of this place. Friends, your family might demand that you abandon Jesus if you want a relationship with him. Friends, if you are to be ready for eternity, you must remain faithful to Jesus even if it divides you from father or mother or sister or brother. The dividing line between families in the Civil War was sometimes simply where they lived, the North or the South. However, the eternal dividing line between all people, to include families, is how they respond to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection is the turning point of all history and of all humanity. And this is what Jesus is pointing to in verses 49 and 50. The baptism he will undergo is his death on the cross. That's what he's talking about, his death on the cross. And then one day when he returns, he will bring the fire of judgment to the earth. Friends, will you be prepared for that day? The answer to that question depends on what you do with Jesus. Do you trust in his death on your behalf? Do you submit to him as Lord and King and follow him in obedience and faithfulness? Are you loyal to him and willing to follow him no matter the cost? Friends, just think back to those sermon texts from the last few weeks. What do you seek more? The approval of others or the approval of God? Do you set your hope and security on your earthly possessions? Or do you set it on the Lord? Has Jesus' death and resurrection changed your life? Or not so much? Friends, are you ready for Jesus' unexpected return? Your answer to that question is of utmost urgency. And that is the final message that Jesus leaves you with this morning. Be urgent. Look at verse 54. He, Jesus, also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you were going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff thrown you into prison. 
I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. In these verses, Jesus once again rebuked the people of his day for their hard hearts and for their failure to believe. They failed to properly interpret all the signs and the wonders that Jesus had performed. For one reason or another, love of money, fear of man, pride, love of power, they rejected Jesus. They failed to see that God himself was among them. Friends, the the point is that those who do not recognize Jesus' first coming will certainly not be ready for his second coming. Those who do not recognize Jesus' first coming will certainly not be ready for his second coming. Friends, if you always ignore the airline safety video at the beginning of your flight, I'm guilty of that. If you always ignore that, thinking that nothing will ever go wrong, you will never be ready when the emergency were ever to come. Again, the dividing line of history is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, just think of all the Jews today who sadly think that they are still waiting for the Messiah to appear. They are on the wrong side of that divide. But friends, Jesus makes it clear in his final parable that recognizing him for who he is, that believing in him and trusting in him is a matter of great urgency. Kids, if you are fighting with your siblings, you know that it is better to make peace with your siblings before you make it to your parents or before your parents to find out. If not, you're going to get in trouble. Now that's Jesus' point in this final parable. Jesus is encouraging you to make peace with God before it is too late. When you reach the court, you reach the judge, it will be too late. In other words, when Jesus comes again and you stand before the judgment seat of God, it will be too late. You do not make peace with God now. God, the just and the righteous judge of all humanity, will sentence you to an eternity in hell. And he will be just in doing so. Friends, Jesus' point is that it is not too late. And if you have never repented and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or perhaps you're just not sure, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Jesus has not yet returned because he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to, to repentance. Jesus is telling you to urgently make peace with God. Do not delay. Friends, the only way to do that is to repent of your sins, to turn from them, to give them up, to commit to living in a new way and to place your complete trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Friends, on that day you will not be able to stand on your own works or your own merits or your good deeds. You will only be able to stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the one and only way that you can be ready for eternity. Now you might be tempted to think like the wicked servant from verse 45, thinking that Jesus has delayed this long. Why should I think repenting is of any great urgency? Friends, a thousand years is like one day to Jesus. You might be tempted to think, if he comes back, it's probably not going to be tomorrow. Life will keep going on just as it always has, so I've got a little bit of time. You might think, let me live life how I want to. And when I'm older, I'll make time and room for Jesus. I can switch my allegiance later. 
Friends, if your great hope is for a deathbed conversion, be warned. Kids and youth, maybe you're thinking, I'm young. Let me live a little first. Jesus can wait. But friends, Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Do not presume upon his patience and kindness. Repent and believe today. And friends, even if Jesus does not come back tomorrow or during your lifetime, there will be a day when your own life will come to an end. Could be today. You could die in a car accident on the way home from church. Friends, you are not promised tomorrow. Kids, you are not promised tomorrow. Your life is but a vapor. It is a mist. It's here today and it is gone tomorrow. Are you ready for eternity? And Christian, what about you? Have you grown spiritually complacent? Are you keeping yourself ready for service? Are your lamps lit? Are you fighting sin? Are you doing your job? And you are to be constantly prepared for the Master's coming. So if you have grown spiritually lazy, if you have grown spiritually complacent, confess your sin to the Lord. Ask Him to renew your strength so that you are fit for His service. Again, do not take these warnings in Scripture for granted. One of the means that God uses to awaken those who have the Spirit within Him. Friends, take heart because the one who calls you to be ready is the same one who makes you ready. He prepares you for the banquet. Friends, he washes your sins and he makes you white as snow. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So church, be ready. Be faithful. Be loyal. But be urgent. Let's pray.